are listening to the podcast ministry of Portadown Independent Methodist Church. We welcome you and thank you for joining us. We trust that you are blessed by the ministry of God's Word today. Second Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of God feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house and when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, what thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. In the book uh, regarding the Korean revival that I referred to last Sunday, there is a particular part where the author refers to a really uh, unusual service that they had there back many years ago in Korea. And as I recall, it came during a time when pastors and missionaries and uh, believers and perhaps others were gathered for a conference where they were studying through God's Word. And the author writes of this service like this, God came to us in Pyongyang with the sound of weeping, a spirit of sorrow for sin 
came down upon the audience. He quotes another man who was there as recollecting this. Man after man would rise, confess his sins, break down and weep, and then throw himself to the floor and beat the floor in perfect conviction. Some screamed in agony. The meeting went on until 2 a.m. with confession and weeping and praying. The author then picks up from his own memory of that. He said, pale and trembling with emotion, in agony of mind and body, guilty souls standing in the white light of that judgment saw themselves as God saw them. Their sins rose up in all their vileness till the face of men was forgotten. Looking up to heaven, to Jesus, whom they had betrayed, they smote themselves and cried out with bitter wailing, Lord, Lord, cast us not away forever. Everything else was forgotten. Nothing else mattered. The scorn of men, the penalty of the law, even death itself seemed of small consequence if only God forgave. Now that's a clear example of God visiting people with a deep conviction of sin that led to repentance and confession. And in 2 Samuel 12, after Nathan confronted David, David experienced conviction and repentance, something like what we have read there that took place in Korea. He experienced an acute sense of conviction over his sin, and he also experienced the remarkable joy over God having forgiven his sin. He felt the anguish of his sin and the horror of his sin against God, and then the relief that God would forgive or take that sin away. At the same time that David is experiencing that, however, God tells David there will be earthly consequences for his sin. Look, for example, at verse 10. Now therefore, now therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Or look down at verse 14. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. These are serious consequences that David is going to experience here on earth. And yet the issue that we see here is that like those believers who were in Korea and even having read their little description of that day, it helps us to put these things in perspective. 
it helps us to kind of process right the consequences that David faced here on earth after we have comprehended in some measure the depth of the conviction and the power of forgiveness that David had experienced from God. If we try to study the earthly consequences without having an eye on the forgiveness that God extended, then we can get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. And David did write of his own experiences of acute conviction and anguish of repentance in Psalm 51. Also, many believe Psalm 32. And it is painful, painful reading. Whenever we think of David being forgiven, we must not think that David did not go through something that was deeply agonizing and deep anguish as he became aware of his sinfulness and confessed it to God. So first of all, David's repentance. When David sinned, it was like he thought, who is God that I should obey him? Who is God that I, David, should obey his commands? David looked down on God. David treated God with contempt, and that's exactly what God said. And so as David was sinning flagrantly, he had this pride and this arrogance, this notion, who is God that I, David, should obey him? He despises God and he treats God with contempt as if God is some, something very small. Now, David is confronted by this God through the prophet Nathan who brings God's word. And what David experiences in being confronted by God is a deep anguish. And David is writhing on the inside in agony as the awareness comes to him of what his sin really was and how he had treated God. We talk of certain things coming into contact with each other and having an explosive reaction. And there is no reaction in all of the universe more explosive than when man's sin is in the presence of a holy God. And that's what those believers in Korea are experiencing. God has come near and and in the holy presence of God, they are acutely aware of their sin. And there is agony and there is anguish within their hearts. That is what Isaiah found in Isaiah chapter 6, and that's what David finds here. I, I treated God with contempt, and I despised him as if he was nothing to be considered, and now the majestic and the infinite and the holy God confronts David, and David is now the one who sees himself so small and writhing in the pain of the awareness of what he has done. God awakens David's conscience to see the nature of his sin. He broke God's laws whenever he committed adultery, whenever he committed murder, whenever he was covetous, whenever he lied. And so David's conscience is now tormenting David with his guilt. 
David realizes, I, I am in legal trouble here. I deserve to die as a result of my sins. And so God awakens his conscience, and David's conscience is now tormenting him, utterly so, with this awareness, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. I broke the law of God. He is also experiencing sorrow. And it stems from this, this simple fact, God, I despised you. I rebelled against your love. You opened your hand so wide to me, God, and you were so gracious towards me, and I have sinned against you. And so it's not merely the legal aspect that is tormenting David. It's the relational aspect. God, I sinned against you. And so if we closely examine what David experiencing here, it is something altogether farther along the road than mere human regret. David is not thinking now, oh no, the cat has got out of the bag and the rest of my life's going to be different. The cat seems well and truly out of the bag, and the rest of his life is going to be different, but it is the offensiveness of his sins towards God that undoes David here more even than the consequences. He says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, Psalm 51, 4. So David here, it's not regret, oops, I, I got caught. I mean, this is terrible now, and now I, I've messed up my life. No, it's, it's, it's this reality. I broke the law of God, the infinite creating God of the universe. And it's not only that I merely broke a, a law written on a tablet of stone, but I showed contempt for the God who wrote the law. David's almost like, how could I even have done this? I look down on the infinite God who made me, the gracious God who was kind to me, the God who has given me every breath that I have ever breathed, the God who's given me every beat that my heart has ever taken, everything that I am came from God, and I treated him with contempt, and I despised him. And so if we could hear David's cries of confession and his cries here of repentance, there is anguish. What David is experiencing is excruciating. And so when we speak of repentance, we speak of it meaning doing a 180 degree turn, but this helps us to see what we mean by that. David has gone through a complete change of mind and a change of attitude towards his sin. And this can only be explained by this visitation from God. David didn't waken up and decide that he would, no, turn over a leaf. He didn't even waken up and decide, you know, I'm going to start living differently now. No, there is this process where his attitude towards his sin, his, his mind towards his sin has gone a 180 degree turn. He goes from dismissing it to weeping over it. He, he goes from excusing it to hating it and forsaking it. 
We could say there, there is no entrance into God's presence without a change of attitude and a change of heart towards his sin. And that's what David is experiencing here. We do need to be cautious when we read of Korea or we read of Psalm 51 and then we think, did, did I repent with that kind of, like, literally on the floor beat? No, the, 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 the severity with which God brought this conviction to Korea or to David is, is one thing. What, what is necessary is this ingredient of a change of mind and a change of attitude, and that is what David encounters. And so David, as he now is in God, and wondering, God, I, I sinned against you, God. I treated you, the majestic and the omnipotent, as if you were a small thing and your law was beneath me, that, that I didn't have to keep it. And now as this repentance and this, this conviction comes, David cries out to God in confession, and he confesses everything. He's completely undone in this moment, and he cries out in Psalm 51, blot out my transgressions, verse 1. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, verse 10. And so what David goes through as God confronts him here with, with truth and with gentleness, with with his holiness and with his love, David is undone and he's writhing in the sense of agony as he sees the nature and the reality of his sin against God. And yet, after writhing under the displeasure of God, David is forgiven. David confesses it all to God and God forgives David. David is now welcome into the presence of God where he can sit under the smile of God. Now these are amazing words. At the end of this chapter, verse 20, we will see David going into the tabernacle and he goes in to worship. David is welcome in the presence of God and he knows the smile of God. Now, how can God do this? How can God smile on David after David treated him with such contempt and broke his law flagrantly and now is known publicly? Well, after David's repentance, God forgives. And the reason why this is possible is because on the cross, the Son of God incarnate took David's sin and endured the full and the unrelenting torments of God's displeasure for David's sin. 1 John 2, 2 says, he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who has taken the displeasure of God for our sins. The Lord Jesus writhed and suffered unspeakable torments as he took the divine displeasure for our sins. 
We speak of sin and holiness being the most explosive reaction in all of the universe. And there, the holy lamb of God has the sins of David and our sins led on his body on the cross. And what he experiences there is suffering in a category that none of us can even begin to understand. How can God smile on David? And the answer is that as David repents and believes God, the the very consequences of David's sin, they were poured out on the Lord Jesus. And so when we come then to, to see David and the earthly consequences that he bears, we have to understand those earthly consequences with an eye on what we have just said. Because if we don't, then we'll get ourselves into all kinds of confusion. How can David be forgiven and know the smile of God? Because the Lord Jesus took all of the displeasure, all of the the, the wrath of God that David's sin deserved, and that is the power of forgiveness within Christianity, that David's sins are forgotten by God, chooses not to remember them. And when David comes into the tabernacle from now on, there is this smile of God that is upon David, and that is beautiful, and that is profound. But we must not think it was easy, because God incarnate had to take the displeasure and the wrath of God. So David from now on can come into the tabernacle and worship God. He can experience the presence of God. He can know the smile of God because of forgiveness after he repented. Now the rest of David's life here, having said all of that, is affected by his sin. In deep and disturbing ways. And it is nothing but painful to read this, but it is true. And therefore, the scriptures paint this picture of the rest of David's life that it might stand as a giant warning to all of us that while our sin can be forgiven, there still can be earthly consequences for it. David will emerge out of this repentance with a broken and a contrite heart. No swagger with David. How could he swagger? There's no pretending that what happened didn't happen. It did happen. And no one knows the horror of what he did better than him. There's no pretending like that that chapter's all kind of never really happened. It did happen. And God in grace has forgiven. But David's heart is broken and it is contrite. It is subdued and it is made tender. So when David is repenting, it reminds me of the prodigal in Luke 15. He's thinking, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. And surely this was something of David's heart. God, just make make me a hired servant. I'm not worthy of anything. And yet as David is repenting, God is racing to throw his arms around a repentant David. That's the beauty of God's forgiveness. And so as David will endure consequences for his sin in this life, We must never forget that David must have thought, I deserve this. These consequences, I I deserve this. But when I go into the tabernacle and I know the presence of God, I don't deserve that. 
And the fact that I can get into God's presence and know his help is everything. And, and it, it gives David the grace and the strength and the power even to endure the consequences that his sin has brought here on earth. Look then at verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. David had a sword brought down on Uriah. He was responsible for his death. And there's much that we could say here, but here is where we could at least begin. David's family seems to end up knowing everything that David did. His children. His children heard what David had done. And David's repentance before God will not undo the damage his example has done to his children. David's authority is fundamentally broken from this point on. It's hard to tell as we read on whether David is too ashamed to rebuke his children because he knows what he has done himself or whether he does rebuke them but his rebukes fall on deaf ears because they can say, Dad, we remember. And this breaking of David's authority is the price that someone in leadership who falls has to reckon with. Surely it's cause for deep humiliation to David. Alexander McLaren says, a parent can have no sharper pang than the sight of his own sins reappearing in his child. And as we read on through 2 Samuel, we find that the sword does not depart from David's house. David's son Amnon is murdered by his half-brother Absalom. Absalom launches in a revolt against his dad and later Absalom will be killed. And David's response to Absalom's death is one of the most heart-wrenching scenes in all of the Bible. Listen to 1 Samuel 18, 33. And the king, that's David, was much moved when he heard of Absalom's death. He went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son. And while David's children bear full responsibility for their own actions before God, we cannot ignore the influence that David's sin had on them. And what pain then David must endure for the rest of his life, and it all started on a sorry afternoon when he woke up from his afternoon nap. There are consequences, young people, everybody. There are consequences, children, to our sin. And God can forgive when we repent and welcome us into his presence, but it doesn't necessarily undo all of the damage that the example of our sin has set. We'll find in verse 11 that because of David's sin against another man's wife, the 
same will end up visiting David's family. Or look at verse 14. Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. David's sin caused the enemies of God to blaspheme. Heaven's gates, if you like, were bombarded with ridicule from the enemies of God. Did you hear what the king of Israel who tell us about this holy God and his holy covenant. Did you hear what the king of Israel and the gates of heaven hear cries of derision because of David's sins? David's, David's sins have led the enemies of God to revile God himself. God says, because David's deed caused this, the child that is born unto thee shall surely die. In verse 15, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. Sometimes at a point like this, we're hoping, are we not, that someone will come along and say, that's what the English says, but what it really means in the Hebrews is something much softer, but that simply doesn't happen here. And I don't have answers for all of our questions about this moment other than to say the Lord gave and the Lord took away. This child was innocent of any involvement, obviously, in David's sin. But this child died because of David's sin. And surely in some way does it not perhaps nudge us to look at the cross, Whatever tears we shed as we read this chapter of an innocent child in terms of David's sin, dying for David's sin, how much more when we see a future descendant of David and Bathsheba's innocent and sinless hanging on a cross and dying for David's sin with great suffering and anguish, dying for our sin. So here the Lord gave and the Lord took away, not as a vindictive punishment to David, but we might say to preserve to a watching world the fact that he disapproved of this act that David had done. And David knew, deeply knew, that this child would go instantly into the presence of God. Verse 23, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. But after we've said all of that, David still lost a child. And David, in some senses, after all of this, is a shell of the man that he was before this. As the consequences of his sin are always snapping at his heels, always playing on his mind. And David lives with these consequences, but by the infinite mercy of God, he can go into the tabernacle and know the smile and the presence and the favor of God. And this is why we have to keep our eye on the mercy of God to David. These consequences that we read of are not steps taken by a vindictive God. How could they be? How could they be vindictive steps when this God will send his son 
to take on flesh and blood, to die, to take the punishment for David's sins. Rather, God displays to a watching world and displays to us this morning the horrific nature of David's sin, his displeasure towards David's sin, the consequences of sin, while even hinting that the fact that a future son of David's would die for David's sin and for ours as well. And so the two messages that stand tall in this chapter are simply this, if You have sinned. There is forgiveness in the blood of the Lord Jesus. There is forgiveness if you would repent. And yet if you are standing on the threshold of temptation and there is any kind of awful notion that, oh, I'll forgive. No, be reminded here that there are consequences for our sin even here on earth. Now, in conclusion, we must tread with extreme, extreme caution when trying to apply a passage like this to our own situations. The Bible gives us enough room for carefulness here. Do you remember Job's friends who misread Job's circumstances? They blamed Job for some wrongdoing, that this was a divine consequence for something wrong that Job had did, and his friends bore false witness against God. Job was perfect. So when we see things that are tragic in our own lives, we must be very, very cautious about trying to fit what happened to David into our own story. In John chapter 10, when the disciples saw a man who was born blind, they inquired, so so who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? The answer was that this blindness was not because of some specific sin in his life or his parents' life. It was for the glory of God. We must tread carefully and we must Always be reminded that sin has consequences that repentance does not always take away. David's heels are always snapped at by the consequences of his sins. Always, every turn that he takes. We would be reminded that a murderer who is serving time in prison and then gets saved doesn't walk out of prison. A thief like Zacchaeus who gets saved, has to make restitution. An adulterer who repents can't undo the wounds he inflicted on others. A person who sins with their tongue, slandering, gossiping, and backbiting, can't pick up the feathers they have spread all over a country. They can't rehabilitate the reputation of the one that they damaged. A person who leads others into a life of sin and then gets saved can't turn the hands of the clock back and erase their influence on those people. One who has caused the ears of God to fill with the blasphemies of his enemies cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. They cannot rewind the tape, as it were, and stop those revilings and those blasphemies ever getting to God's ears. But, and it is an infinite but, the one who repents 
can be forgiven. The one who repents can be forgiven and can know the smile of God and can know the presence of God and can know the joy of God even as they navigate their way through the consequences of this life. And when they get to the end of this journey of life, they will be welcomed home forever into the presence of God thanks to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. And so this morning... This chapter presents us with the most important lesson that the Bible has to give. Because of the sufferings of Christ, those who repent can be forgiven. And on a scale of one to a million, that's a million. But there are times when our sin has consequences on earth that we will deal with to the end of our days. And therefore, let this be a giant warning to us all. If we leave this chapter with a sense of being subdued in the presence of God, then I do believe it has had its desired effect upon our hearts. The grace of God to David in forgiveness. The grace of God to walking with David as he faced the consequences of his sin. But the fact that God, that we might see his displeasure for David's sin, did not revoke the consequences here in time. Cannot we see, and say this with all carefulness, the wisdom of God. Once again, thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, visit our website, portadownimc.org, or find us on Facebook at Portadown IMC. God bless.